We are in our series in Genesis. Last week we began with the beginning, which is a good place to start. At least I've heard that in a song once. And so we started there. God created things. And then if you ever seen like most trilogies, they have like the, the first movie, the trilogy, it's like real exciting. And, and, and then the second one. Uh, it's like Empire Strikes Back, like the bad guys end up kind of having a bigger presence and things like that. That is what happens also in the Bible. God started it all. He is awesome, made an awesome world. Everything is perfect. Everything is great. And then we will see that things kind of spiral a little bit. And we see this pattern start to emerge of betrayal, judgment, but then hope. And so we're going to be talking about that today. Before we do, though, there's a reason for all of this. And it comes to us from our memory verse for today. Now, this is right before the judgment of the flood uh, that takes place, the betrayal that was there. And it says, God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And we're going to talk about that verse a little bit today. Before we do, of course, we want to set it into our hearts. So if you would join me, let's memorize this verse from Genesis 6:12. Here we go. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Genesis 6:12. All right, let's say that again. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Genesis 6.12. Right, one more time, we'll lose some letters. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Genesis 6.12. Alright, here we go, lose some letters. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Genesis 6.12. Alright, one more time, then we can lose those. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people had, corru- earth had corrupted their ways. Genesis 6.12. I always forget that last on the earth part. Okay, are we ready? Now, of course we are. Here we go. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. Genesis 6.12. Very good. All right. That's kind of a difficult one, but if you wouldn't mind, take in your bulletin. There is a memory verse card. looks like a little business card, but it's much better because it's the power of God. So, take this out and put it in your pocket, your purse, your wallet, your sock, whatever, and we'll get to memorizing that throughout the week. Now, you say, Aaron, that's a pretty hard verse. Why would we want to memorize a verse like that? God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth corrupted their ways. You know, at this time of year, there's always a montage that you can see online or on TV or sometimes on the radio of all the things that happened through this past year, and most of them are bad. You ever notice that? Like, all kinds of horrible things happen. And I have heard it, even on the radio and on TV and commentators, and you look in most magazines, they'll say, uh, people will question God. They'll say, if, how is it that a God could create a world like this? Look what's happening. And even in our own hearts, when bad things happen in our lives, we think, oh, this is horrible. My life is falling apart. And we often say, God, how could you do this? And I think this passage really reveals the truth of the situation. God created a very good world. But the world isn't so good right now. But it's not because of him. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. Why? Because all the people on the earth had corrupted the ways. The Bible says that all have fallen short 
from God's glorious standards, right? All of us. All of us have sinned. And we destroy each other and we destroy this world. And really, our inclination is to point our finger up at God and to blame Him. But the reality is it's really a darkness in our hearts. It is us that destroys one another. It really is people and the darkness of our souls that make this world a difficult place. And so we're going to see is that's not a new thing. It has been that way ever since the beginning. In fact, if we look right at the very beginning at this betrayal, judgment, and hope, there was a family there, the original Adam's family. And, <laughs> and they were creepy and they're kooky. And they're also our relatives. Here's the thing with them. I know, but it's so true, isn't it? Adam was made in the image of God. Eve was made in the image of God. It says in the image of God, he created the male and female. They were made in the image of God, walked with God, talked with them, knew him. Their kids killed each other. But it was even before that. Uh, there was this thing, that, this, this pattern that, that was set up right from the very beginning. God would tell us something very simple to do, and we would do the exact opposite. But it wasn't just rebellion, it's betrayal. You see, very from the beginning, God set up all the different trees. He said to Adam and Eve, you can have anything you want. Awesome buffet. All vegan, but very good. Right? It is all before you. And you can have anything. But just don't eat from this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, because it will kill you. And how did Satan tempt them? Did he say, no, it tastes good? No, it's not what he said. He said, God knows it won't kill you, but he also said this, but he knows that if you eat from it, you'll be like him. And you know, he was telling the truth. When we ate from that tree, we started knowing, having the ability to tell our own, thing, what we would say is good and what we would say is evil, just like God can. Of course, our good and evil don't align with his. Satan didn't tell us that would happen. But we ate that so we could be like God. We could replace him. It was a betrayal, straight up. And there's no way you could sugarcoat it. It wasn't, oh, that they were just tempted by the fruit or the mystery of it. We wanted to be gods. And we betrayed him. Of course, there was judgment. God comes down, walks the garden. Hey, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And, of course, we're hiding, covering ourselves with fig leaves. And... We play the, the pointing fingers game. God says, well, what have you done? And Adam points to Eve. Well, she made me do it. And Eve says, no, 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 it wasn't me. It was the serpent that made me do it. The serpent's like, couldn't point because they didn't have hands. <laughs> <laughs> you might have at that point. And then God, there was judgment, wasn't there? God judges the serpent. And says, you know what? You're going to crawl on the ground and you're going to eat dust. And there's going to be enmity between you and the man. Someday he's going to crush you. And then he curses the woman. You're going to have a hard time giving birth to children. It's going to hurt. Oh, and also you're going to have a desire for your husband. He's going to rule over you. And he curses the man. You know what? This ground that I made just work was easy for you. It's not going to be so easy anymore. It's going to be cursed. It's going to be hard. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to eke out an existence. There was a curse. There was judgment. Because when we betray God, there are consequences. Now, what I find fascinating here is that's not the end of the story. If you betray the most powerful, all-powerful, power, all all-present, all all-knowing being, right? We betrayed him. We, we, he gave us a command, very simple. 
We didn't just break the command. We broke it so we wouldn't have to follow any commands. He could have killed us. That's what he said we deserve. But God gives us hope. After he offers that, that judgment, isn't even the judgment of the serpent. It says the seed of the woman, that there's this child, this son is going to come from, is going to destroy you. You know what that means? Adam and Eve are going to have a baby, which means they weren't going to die right then. Think how, how wonderful that must have been for news for them because they thought, oh, this is it, we're done. But beyond that, God also, he says, those fig leaves are nice, they're fashionable, but I'll make you some real clothes. And he kills an animal and covers them and symbolically showing us that there was a penalty now. That uh, sin does result in death and death entered the world. But it didn't just end there. You would think, maybe, okay, we learned our lesson and they get kicked out of the garden and life's a little bit harder, but they're, they're still together and they have these kids and they have these sons, Cain and Abel. And the one's a farmer and, and one's a rancher. And so Abel ranches, Cain farms and things to be okay and they both worship God. And they bring a sacrifice to God because they recognize what God wanted. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice. It was life. It was an animal that would, was killed as his sin. He said, I'm sorry for my sin. And he sacrificed him. Well, Cain brought vegetables. And God wasn't pleased with Cain. He says, no, that's, that's not good enough. And Cain gets mad at his brother and plots to kill him. God warns him, don't do it. <laughs> he warns him. And Cain rebels. He betrays his own brother. He betrays God. In fact, it says in Scripture, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. So he murdered, now he lies. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. There was a betrayal that was there. It, it started with their parents, and now it continues with them. And it leads to murder. And I think this is fascinating, because oftentimes we think of us that are in church, you know, we, we all worship God and we love God together. Isn't it amazing how ferocious even worshipers could be to one another? That in the name of what we think is righteousness or good, we get jealous of one another and then we hurt one another? Well, it was like that from the very beginning. It shouldn't surprise us, but it's still wicked. And Cain kills his own brother. The first family doesn't get past murder and lying. It's horrible. And of course, there was judgment. God says to Cain, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer throughout the earth. He was a farmer. Can't farm anymore. Cain says, this is too much for me. I'm, I can't bear this. And when people see me, because I have siblings that will know what I did, they will kill me. And God says, that's not going to happen. He gives him hope, gives him a sign, somehow marks him, and says, if anybody kills Cain, <laughs> seven times worse is going to happen to him. So you're protected. And he starts and he builds these cities. But he never really returns to God. In fact, we read in there, in Genesis, right after that, the sons of Cain. And every generation becomes more wicked than the first, the one before it. There was this rebellion, and this rebellion, finally one of his sons says, you know what, if God, if God could say that if anybody hurts Cain, it's seven times worse for them. If somebody hurts me, it's going to be 70 times worse. 
And that guy started marrying all kinds of, of women and things too. It was, it was bad. And we see this deterioration of humanity. And this, this war against God, this betrayal, and this continuing judgment, that was, that was horrible. But there was also hope. Because God allowed Adam and Eve to have a different son. And his name was Seth. It says, when Adam lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and named him Seth, a fresh start. A redo, if you would. I think it's funny, he talks about it, says he looked just like him. Spitting image of his dad. And Seth has children that walk with God. It was the one righteous lineage in all of the earth. <laughs> in fact, one of, the great, one of the grandsons was this guy named Enoch. Enoch is a mystery. He's a cool dude. Enoch, it says in Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. He didn't die. Like when we get to heaven and everyone else will be talking about their death stories, like how did you die? We'd be like, well, I don't know. You know, run over by a truck, whatever. And then talk about Enoch. How did you die? I didn't. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> he was so good. In the midst of a generation of betrayal, there was hope. There was this lineage of hope. And that eventually one of Enoch's grandsons was a man named Noah. It says... Uh, and then it says he named him Noah and said, because he will comfort us in our labor and our painful toil that the hands, uh, our hands have caused us by the ground that the Lord has cursed. That's why he named Noah. It was comfort. There was this hope. There was this righteous lineage that somehow survived everything else in the world that was going <laughs> reckless and wicked. And there was this one lineage. But even in that, we find that we can still betray. And we get to Noah. And we find out that what God says, <laughs> he says, now the earth was corrupt. <laughs> right? Because God saw all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. Everybody. Except for this one guy, Noah, and his family. And they held to God, but everything else was horrible. And we talked about Noah. We even had a series on him not very long ago. And you can remember like how difficult that must have been to be that righteous family, that righteous man in the midst of a world that was an active uh, war against God. And so, God sent judgment because we had, as a humanity, had betrayed Him. We had said, this is our creation, not yours. We're going to do whatever we want with it. Thank you very much. And said, all the thoughts of all the people were wicked all of the time. That's just hard to wrap our minds around except for this. The people there probably didn't think they were wicked. They probably thought they were being very, very righteous. They probably thought, our standard of right and wrong is different than God's because we obviously know better than him. Why listen to that old creator? He was Adam and Eve, our great-great-grandparents knew him, not us. He's so old-fashioned and the way that he said to do things doesn't match today. And so they set up their own standards of what they thought was right and wrong and violence filled the earth. And people treat each other horribly, but they probably thought that they were right. And it's very difficult to convince someone who thinks that they're righteous that they're very wicked. And that's why Jesus said when he came, I came not to save those that are, that are healthy, but those that are sick. We're all sick. But it's hard to convince somebody who thinks that they're healthy that they're very sick, isn't it? And the world had gotten to the point where we thought we were so righteous, that we were wicked, all to the core, except for this one family. And so there was going to be judgment. God was going to flood the earth and destroy everything. But there was hope. 
And so it said to God, said to know, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. But he goes on to say, here's the hope. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. You know what hopeful words? I mean, also terrifying. If you were Noah. At first, when God says, I'm going to destroy everything, you're like, well, that includes me. I'm a little scared. And then he says, so do this so you can escape that. There was hope. And he tells them to make rooms. Like There's going to be other things that I'm going to save. I'm going to bring animals to you and I'm going to save them. We're going to get a fresh start again. Humanity gets now yet a third second chance. And what happens is they do. They survive. They survive the flood. It's amazing. They come off the ark and all these things. And God says to them, he tells them something very simple to do. He says, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. That's a pretty good command. Go and prosper and fill the earth. Right? That's the simple thing they tell us to do. There is hope. God's saying you will survive. You're going to thrive. You have my blessing. Go and do it. And we read the end of, of, of Noah and we think, hey, this is fantastic. But is that what people do? Well, we get to this place called Babel, which is not long after Noah. And what do the people do in Babel? Well, they betrayed God. They built a tower. It says this in Genesis 11. It says, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we will make a name for ourselves. And get this. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. What did God tell them to do? Fill the earth. What did they say? Let's make a tower so it goes to heaven so we can be like God, so we don't have to do what God told us to do. Betrayal. After the flood. We people are amazing in our ability to forget. I mean, our arrogance are thinking that we can somehow outsmart and outwit and outpower God. Like if we could make a tower that gets up to heaven somehow, we can knock him off his throne. We'll make a tower so big that it's, it's taller than any flood you can send on us. We won't, we're going to have this thing so we don't have to fill the earth. God told us a good thing to do. Go and fill it. We're like, no. I have to think that we decided in Babel to build that tower just because God told us to spread through the earth. Because if he told us to do it, man, that's the last thing we want to do, isn't it? And that's what they did. And so there was judgment. God came down and he confused their languages. We've got all kinds of different languages because God's brilliant. And he's like, you're going to speak French now. And they're like, oh, no. Right? And they couldn't build the tower because they couldn't talk to one another. And they're all confused and they got freaked out. And they all left and they scattered throughout the earth. Guess what? God wins. But now we have a problem. Because now you, the people are still wicked. They still have this heart of self-righteousness and rebellion against God. But now they're just scattered everywhere and they can't even talk to one another. See, human got, humanity got another second chance. God could have killed us at Babel. He could have said, listen, I made you and told you I took from that tree. What did you do? You ate from the tree. I forgave you. right? I, I made a way that you could keep living. And then your descendants, Adam and Eve, they killed each other when I warned them not to. But I gave you another chance. And there was a righteous lineage that I helped protect and guide. And you know what? The world still got worse, even with them. And then I had to flood the whole world and save them 
your parents, you think you would learn. But now, you don't even want to be this simple command just to go and be, to be prosperous? That's it. I'm done with you. I think a lot of us would say, I've given them a lot of chances. I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. They're just wicked. But I think what God showed us is that humanity can never save ourselves. With, with Adam and Eve, we thought we could be like God. We thought that we would be able to know, like God, what is right and wrong, and we would be just as good at it. And it didn't take even one generation for us to find out that violence would come into our lives. Cain and Abel killed each other. And then we thought, you know what, after that we, we've got this righteousness, we could be good, uh, we could follow God, we could save ourselves. And what happens is it gets so bad that God has got to, to flood the earth and starts again and says, all right, here is a new start for you, a fresh start, follow me, worship me. And we don't, we scatter again. And we finally get to Babel and we do it again. You know, every time that humanity tries to save humanity, things get bad. Every time. Self-righteousness does not work. It doesn't. It always leads to violence. It always leads to death. It always leads to betrayal against God. It always leads to judgment. Every time. And every time, as God brings judgment, He also brings hope. You see, after Babel, and the world was scattered, and there were all kinds of different tribes, and people went about in their own different languages, God said, I'm going to save you. You can't save yourselves, so I will. And he started a, a plan, he put it into place, that <laughs> started working for our very salvation. And he found this man living down, and, and actually very close to where uh, the Garden of Eden was before the flood. His name was Abram. He was an old man. Not by those terms. People lived a long time back then. But he was still pretty old, settled in his ways. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, and the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God created a way. There was hope. You see, even in the judgment, even when God scattered the earth, he didn't just say, okay, that's it, speak different languages, now you're going to war against each other instead of against me, which we do now, by the way. And then walk away and said, okay, I'll just let you destroy each other. He picked a man, he said, I'm going to save you. There is hope. There is a pattern that we read in the first chapters of Genesis that tells us a lot about ourselves, doesn't it? There's this, this pattern in humanity, human history, that, but even in our own lives, that starts with this. We have an all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, all-present God who made us. We intrinsically know it. Every child from every culture, when, they are grown, when they're born and they start growing up, they believe that there is a God until somebody tells them otherwise. We are hardwired to accept the divine. We know that he exists. And we're made for that. But we all betray. Every one of us at some point in our lives says to God, and even in our conscience, because God gives us that conscience, to say, don't do that. And we say, no, I want to. I know better. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be boss of my life. Thank you very much, God. But I will be my God. Every one of us commits betrayal. We do it as people. We do it as societies. We do it as nations. It's just how human history works. And what is the result? 
violence, difficulty, pain, despair. <laughs> the world becomes corrupt because we do bad things to one another. Let me ask you, when, when we turn on the news and you read about a robbery that takes place, is that because God made people or is that because people made sin? People made sin. When we have to lock our doors and our, take the keys out of our cars, why do we do that? It's not because God's going to steal our cars or he's going to rob our houses. It's because people do. Because they want to take whatever they want to take. When we take self-defense classes, do we do that because we are afraid because God's going to come get us? No, we do that because wicked people will try to impose their will upon us. You see, we live in a world where we spend more money on defense than we do on education because the world is a wicked place to protect ourselves from other people. And other people spend lots of money and time and effort to protect themselves from us. It's just the way that we live in this defensive, horrible posture. Oh, who can save us? These people of betrayal. These people that we know that we live in judgment. How many things in our world are just broken, just so broken because of us? Families, marriages, relationships, governments, broken. There is judgment. And every one of us dies. And all of us live with some level of guilt. We wake up knowing that we have betrayed God. And we know that there is a creator of our souls that we're going to answer to it someday. That's what motivates most religions, isn't it? There is a judgment that is there that we live under. And it's there because we deserve it, because we betray God. It is not different today than it was back in the days of Genesis. It's the exact same story. Betrayal and judgment. But that's not the end of the story. We also live in the realm of a God who gives us hope. It's an amazing thing. When Paul said, oh, who can save us? From this body of death. <laughs> oh, thanks be to God for Christ Jesus. Isn't it powerful that God sees even you and me out of his loving and divine eye? And he makes a way. And he says, you are wicked, but I will remake you. You can be born again. You can be sanctified, changed, redeemed. And that's what he does for us in Christ Jesus. But he doesn't just end there. He says, and I will not just remake you, but I will remake this whole world. Jesus came the first time to give us hope. He, he came and he died on a cross to pay the penalty, that death that we deserve. But he rose again to prove that he really is God because people don't do that. But also to show us that we'll be like him. This body of death, this betrayal will be dealt with. There will be judgment, but we will come through it because we can be forgiven. And we can be remade, made new like Christ and live forever. Now that is hope. And we live in that era today, an era of hope. We don't have to continue the rebellion. And that is what we come together as a church to do. To follow God, his simple commands, love one another and love him with everything we are to reach our community with love, to share with them the good news of Jesus, that there is, there is salvation available. Simple commands. We come together to do that, to stop the rebellion between us and God, 
so we could step out of the judgment. We could spread that hope. But you know what? He's coming back. Someday our hope won't be needed anymore because he will return. You know, something amazing is happening. This is 2015. If you haven't noticed that, you keep writing on your checks the wrong year. But here's the thing. 2015, you know what happens in 2025? If Jesus doesn't come back before then? The gospel will be, the Bible will be translated into every native language on earth by the year 2025. Isn't that fascinating? It's taken us a lot of years to get there. In 2025, every person and every nation and every language that God helps scramble the Babel will be able to know what Jesus did for them. These are historic days. There is hope. Though we, the humans, are trying to destroy the world, God is remaking the world through us. And you know what? The church is making a difference. What a powerful thing that is. So what do we do with this? Well, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, I want you to pick out your, your green connection cards because there are ways that you could connect with this hope, to connect with what God is calling us to do. The first thing to do that I would suggest is, why don't you memorize Genesis 6.12? Because here's the temptation for all of us. We're going to think that we're good, right? That we have the answers. That if, if God just ran things our way, the world would be happy, right? The world would, would work right if, if everyone just obeyed me. Genesis 6.12, I think, should help us remember the reality of our situation. The world is corrupt because people are corrupt, and that includes me. Genesis 6.12 gives us the power to to take off the blinders. It is the antidote for the poison of the lie at Eden. Where Eden says, you can create your own set of right and wrong, and we remember in Genesis 6.12, what does that lead us to? It leads us to a lot of wrong. Genesis 6.12, if you memorize that, think about that. It, it helps us understand the reality of our situation so we can obey God because it's not in our nature. It's in our very nature to disobey Him. But we have to realize that we don't have the answers God does. So maybe memorizing Genesis 6.12 in those moments where you think, even whether you're, you're voting or when you're talking with somebody else and you're trying to solve all the problems of the earth, and you want other people and you're frustrated because they just won't listen to you and your plans. <laughs> Genesis 6.12 is a wonderful reminder. You don't have the answers, but God does. It, it helps us humbly bend that knee to God and to ask Him for His will. And to say, you know what? You don't always make sense to God, to me, but I'm going to obey you. Maybe that's what you need to do. Start this year off with reality. Start this year off with the humility of saying, I am not all-knowing. I am not all-powerful. I am not all-present. But God is. And when I'm in control, bad things happen. But when I allow God to be in control, great things happen. Don't make a resolution this year. Make a commitment to follow God. Maybe that's what you need to do is memorize Genesis 6.12. Maybe what you need to do is, is read Genesis 3, chapters 3 through 11. Why? Because you'll see that pattern. If you have any doubt in your mind, if this is how things work as humans, when we get in control, we will rebel. We will. We will betray God. There will be judgment but it will also show you the power and the love of our God who continues to give us hope time and time again. Maybe that's what you need, is to connect with God and say, and as you read the passages and see, this is, this is nothing new. You're not exempt from humanity. We've been like this since the beginning, but God can fix us. Maybe that's what you need to do, is read Genesis 3 through 11 this week.
That's what you commit to do. Or maybe this. Maybe it's to confess your sins and to receive forgiveness. Maybe you're sitting there and you say, yeah, we, we have this guilt, but God took, Jesus came to take away our guilt. And it says in scriptures, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Maybe that's what you need to do. Confess your sins to God. Say, God, you know what? I have been in rebellion against you. I am sorry. And my life is filled with violence and ugliness because of it. But I want to follow you, so help me. And receive that forgiveness. Know that the God who made creation can make a recreation in you. Accept it. Maybe that's the commitment that you make. What a better way to start the year than that. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't have sins, the scripture also says, if you claim to not have sins, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. So let's get that truth in you. Just admit it. I'm a sinner. Confess it. Receive his forgiveness. And move ahead in obedience. Or how about this? God told us a very simple command. He gathered all his disciples together right before he left to heaven. He says, I'm, this is what I want you to do. Go to all peoples, all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all I've commanded you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What a simple command. And what you say is, you know what, God? I'm going to be on your planet. It scares me to death to engage in this. But I'm going to do it. This year, I'm going to share the hope of Christ. I don't have to be like knocking on everyone's door, but I'll be praying that you're going to give me opportunity to witness in my life, for my friends, my neighbors. I'm not going to be bashful about the fact that you exist and that you can save us. Maybe that's your commitment for this year, is that you will begin to be that fifth gospel. That's the testimony of God in you and Christ in you, and that you're not going to be afraid to share it. Maybe that's your commitment. Now, we all have commitments to make. So I want you to think about pray about it just a minute. And as you do, also be making out your, your tithes and your offerings. We'll be taking that in a moment. And then just uh, we're going to pray for those. And then we're going to pass the baskets. And I want you to place your, your tithes, your offerings, but also these commitments in that basket. One, as a way of giving that to God, saying, I'm going to be doing this for you, but also so that we can be praying for you. And also since there's a place on there, and we love to do that, if there are, are uh, prayer requests that you have as we start this year, please write those down. It's one of the ways that we love to support you as, as your church. So let's mark those down. Let's pray for those. And uh, let's pray for our offering. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we love you. Because you first loved us. And really, that's the only reason why we love you. <laughs> we see in Scripture, it is, it is in our nature to, to rebel against you. And it's ridiculous to see how much you love us and how good you are to us and provide everything for us and give us hope time and time again. And yet, somehow, God, we delude ourselves into thinking that we know better than you. So forgive us of that, Father. Lord, as, as we face another year, we don't face it. We look forward to it because you're with us. Your promise stands true that you're with us always, even to the end of the age. So God, help us this year, even now, bend a knee to you and to walk in your steps. Lord, help us to, to take ourselves off that throne in, in our lives and put you there where you deserve to be. Father, give us the ability and the courage and the faithfulness to obey you. To share your love with others in our community and to receive your forgiveness. And Father, help us to help one another as we do that so we can also fulfill that second wonderful greatest command to love others as much as we love ourselves. Father, in all these things, and we want you to have the glory. So, Father, take these, these commitments 
We also ask you to take these tithes and these offerings and bless them and multiply them to, to do your work in our community, Father. That you would receive the glory you deserve. We ask in the name of our Christ, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus.